everybody welcome back to another episode of dead and married where we discuss all of your favorite horror films and maybe some you haven't heard of i'm ashley and i'm travis and today we're talking 2000s american psycho this was this is part of our hashtag for london series that we're doing this month of september yeah this was one of her favorites she absolutely fucking adored this movie so much and today i actually thought i would have a hard time watching it because we watched it twice today and I thought, oh, man, I haven't watched this, I think, since before she passed away. And I kept thinking, oh, man, I don't think I'm going to be able to handle this. And instead, it actually was kind of cathartic a little bit. Because rather than getting sad at all the things that we used to laugh at, I was actually sitting there laughing because I kept thinking of all of her favorite scenes and all of our favorite quotes and the memes that we would send each other. And it actually turned out to be a lot more pleasant than I expected it to be. And you're looking at me like I'm some kind of American yeah. psycho. <laughs> no, I, my thought was, why did you let her watch this? <laughs> I did not let her watch it. I let Aiden watch it. And London always had a thing because Aiden is pretty much an adult now. And he provided there are still scenes in this movie that I look at Aiden and I'm like, dude, bro, no, you, you got to leave. You got to leave for a minute. Um don't just stare at it, eat it comes to mind. So I would make Aiden like, dude, I need you to just go away for five minutes. But London would also get like insanely jealous of that. And so if I didn't let her watch a movie, she would seek it out on her own. Like I remember, oh man, it wasn't that long before she passed away. She she came up to me and said, told me that she watched Bound. And I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, I haven't even seen that movie. Like, why would you watch that movie? And she was like, um, Jennifer Tilly is gay. And I was like, I mean, that's fair. But it's not a movie I would have ever have let you watch. <laughs> that's a movie you won't let me watch. <laughs> but it's just because it's got Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, Jennifer Tilly was one of those that me and London had an had an ongoing back and forth thing with. That's my girlfriend. Oh shit, you're gonna have to fight me for her. <laughs> like back and forth type of thing. But uh, but no, um, she did love this movie so much. And when I think of all the TikTok she made out of it, and would come up to me, mom, mom, mom. So, um, making the trailer for this week, uh, I just kept thinking. She would have been so proud of it, I think, or she would have like insisted that she help me work on it or something. I think she, I hope she's proud of it because I've worked really hard on it. Well, she made a couple of our trailers and she was really good at it. She was, yeah, she did a great job. So, she definitely had an eye for that sort of thing. So, American Psycho was based on the book by Brett Easton Ellis in his 1991 novel. Rotten Tomatoes scores it at eight at 68 percent. Sorry, I almost said 80 percent. Uh, the audience score, however, is 85%. Voodoo is a 4.0, and IMDb is a 7.6 out of 10. I don't know about those ratings. No, I, I strong disagree. We, re we rated it pretty highly when we got done. Yeah, I rated it at a 5. Yeah, I don't, I think I went 4.5. But I don't know where Rotten Tomatoes gets 68%. I think there's a lot of people that misunderstand the film. Yeah. I, I think they don't understand what it's trying to say. Um, I think that it's just Christian Bale going... Full Batman, and <laughs> and uh, well, I can't say the other thing. <laughs> you can't go full um, Tropic Thunder, and you can't go full Tropic Thunder. You don't go. 
you can't go full RDJ. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Never, never go full Ben Stiller. Um, I think they that that's kind of what the impression that people got, and it was just him doing crazy shit and saying crazy shit, and some murder and some sex and. I don't know. I think they missed the message. It makes sense to me because the novel itself is very divisive. I know it's one of those you either love or you hate. And so I'm not surprised that the film was received the same way. Um, I I would give, I don't know if I'd give it 100% because it's not a perfect film, but I would definitely rate it higher than 80% for sure. Just purely based on Bale's performance alone. Yeah, his performance is really strong. He's he's another... I, don't, I always think of Daniel Day-Lewis when I think of him. Right. Because mm-hmm. they're both method. Yeah. And was it like when they were filming this, Christian Bale wouldn't drop his American accent ever, and then when they went to the, the screening or whatever, he was talking in his native Welsh, and everybody was like, what the fuck? Right. Uh, but apparently he went... He stayed in character through the entire filming, and when they were filming this, the American actors that had never worked for him, with him before, because this was one of his first roles... First major roles. Yeah, I was going to say, he's he's been acting since he was a child. I know, but this was one of his first, like, big yeah. ones, I think. Mm-hmm. A lot of the American actors are like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Because originally they had wanted uh, David Cronenberg to direct, and they wanted to cast Leonardo DiCaprio in this role. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole lot of different things as to why none of that happened. Mm-hmm. But they finally got uh, Mary Heron, who was originally... Well, they also wanted Oliver Stone, and they wanted right. Ewan McGregor. And I mean, there were a lot of guys that were up for there this part. There were a lot of people. And every time they put a, up Christian Bale, they said no. Right. But they were going to pay Leo $21 million for this. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, a lady who was... I wish I could remember her name. I didn't write it down. She was a uh, at the head of the feminist movement. Gloria Steinman. Steinman. Steinem. I can't, I can't talk. On the struggle bus. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I don't, that whole thing worked out oddly. But there were a lot of different people thrown up for the role, and they kept shooting bail down in a, several different directors. But I feel like Mary Heron was the right choice for this. I think it's, you know, you talking about Gloria Steinem and stuff, which incidentally happens to be Christian Bale's stepmom, so you got to kind of wonder what she how she felt about that. But, you know, speaking of feminists, it I think it's so I wonderful. I think she rigged the election. <laughs> you better stop. <laughs> I I think it's so fantastic that not only is this film female directed, but it's also female written. So it's it's kind of neat to see all these themes of of misogyny among other other really horrible things from that era through through the lens of a woman i just think that's really cool so one of the one of the i guess the deep dives i was looking at there's a big difference between the way women were portrayed in the film and the way they were portrayed in the book Mm -hmm. because in the book you only see them from one point of view you only see them from patrick bateman's point of view right and so they're very very one-dimensional but you get a lot more emotion a lot more thought uh, from the female characters in the film. Right. Which is, is good. I, I, I've i heard the... I, I'm sorry, Brett, but I, I hear that book is really boring. Um, and that there's like seven pages dedicated to a monologue about Whitney Houston's albums. So Aiden and I have both tried reading it. I think he made it further than I did because... Ugh, I tried. But from what I understand... For every graphic scene that you get, and there are plenty of them, 
you also have moments where the novel just lags because he's going on about clothing or routines or like you said music and i think that one of the reviews i was looking at be jarring he, he was reading part of an excerpt from the book um, where Bateman is talking about what's being served at a dinner party. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. this did not make it into the film, but he just it's its just a list of foods. Well, I think and that... He, the guy that was doing the thing, he's like, this goes on for two pages. Yeah, I think that is shown properly, even through just the opening credits of the film. Because I would say that food is a pretty big character in this film, too, oddly enough. Fine food. Yes. Expensive food. Yes, and it... If you notice, like, they start off pretty ridiculous, but they just get more and more ridiculous, I feel like, as the film goes right. on. <laughs> yeah, they get they get pretty crazy with some of this stuff. I was a, I was a kid in the 80s, so I don't remember right. a lot of this stuff. Um, but and, and we, I grew up in a small town, mm-hmm. basically a farming community, so I was not exposed to yuppie culture or right. any of that stuff. I, I don't I can't relate to anything they show here. We were still, I mean, you and I we still, still rode horses to school. No, we did not. No, we, we didn't. But you and I, even even the two of us, had very different upbringings. I was much more more in like farming and ranching community when I was a kid. So. Yeah, where I, but you did no farming and ranching. See, I grew up in town, but did the farming and ranching. <laughs> <laughs> kind of backwards. Yeah. But anyway, um, this is a good time to say spoilers one You've more time. Been warned? Spoilers. <laughs> so, and in this movie, spoilers means something. So if you've never seen this movie, yeah, and you would like to see this movie. Before we spoil the fuck out of it, you need to watch it. Yeah. Stop now, go watch it, and come back. There are some movies that I say spoilers, and it will not make a shit whether you listen to our podcast before you watch it or not, but this is one that it does. And I will go ahead and preface this. I know that uh, in the last few months, we've picked up a lot of new listeners, and some of them are younger listeners. Children, please do not watch this movie without a parent's consent. Yeah, you, need to, you need to ask mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, London watched it behind her back. If they're going to tell you no. Aiden is an adult. <laughs> so when you're 18, which honestly, if, if they're that young, they probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but anyway, last You've time. You've been warned. Spoilers. <laughs> Earth ending spoilers. All right. Now, don't just look at it. Eat it. <laughs> He doesn't know where to go from there. No, I know what I'd like to say, but we're not going to. This is not that kind of podcast. I was going to say something like, I did, but. No. Anyway, so first impressions. Ash, you go first. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't think this is a movie I saw until I personally was an adult. Um, because in the year 2000, I would have been 16, 17. And I did not watch it at that age. So I think I probably watched it a few years after it came out, to be fair. And I just remember, like, on that initial watch, absolutely fucking loving it. Because up until this point, I think the most kind of thought-provoking, artsy-style type thing that I had watched was Fight Club, where you had more to think about. Um so I think this was something, because I don't even know that I'd seen A Clockwork Orange at this point. So this was one of the first thought-provoking films that I had ever watched. And I just remember being like, oh my god, I didn't know you could show these things. I didn't know you could talk about these things. I'd never seen a performance like this before. So 
I just remember being insanely impressed with it. And even as an adult, feeling like maybe I'm not supposed to be watching this. Because <laughs> I think I might have watched it on IFC or something. I think it probably would have been an IFC. Yeah. Back in the day. I'm sure you made me watch it, but honestly, uh, I think my first impression was that it was boring. Uh-huh. But I didn't really watch it. I'm sure I was doing something else. As when usual. you were like, hey, watch this. Um, yeah, like the, the intro is interesting where he's kind of going through there and then they get into the business card penis measuring contest and I probably checked out. Um, yeah, it was really just like these last, the, the, these last two watches. Uh-huh. Where I was like, I get it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, am I, am I wrong in assuming that there's a lot of monologues he goes through? And me particularly, especially now, kind of given the state of mind that I'm in, there's a lot of the shit he talk about talks about that resonates with me now, oddly enough. So there was a lot of stuff in this film that on my initial watch, I thought, good movie, but dated. And then I watched it again. I was like... This is not dated. No, no, it's absolutely not. And then a lot of the stuff that I thought was boring, like his monologues and stuff, I thought, yeah, it's kind of boring. It uh, doesn't mean anything, right? This, this is just a pointless, we're getting our runtime. But it's not. It just sort of illustrates his mindset. And these are the things that really occupy his thought processes throughout the day. And again, feels dated, but it's not. It feels dated because of kind of what he's thinking about, but the fact that he's doing it is not. Um... Because, you know, back then, I guess, or I suppose then, uh, in that particular social class, is that what you'd call it, really? I mean, they, they defined what you were supposed to look like and what you were supposed to like and how you were supposed to dress. They they did all of that, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it's that hasn't changed at all. No. Except now it's it's social media. You know, TikTok tells our little girls what they're supposed to look like and what they're supposed to dress like and, and how their hair is supposed to be and tells men what they're supposed to look like and how they're supposed to act and tells what women they're how supposed to eat tells and drink women what their waist measurement should be what so, we're supposed to wear yeah. yeah so i mean it really hasn't changed it just changed mediums and I everybody's guess. still trying to keep up with everybody else to, yeah. to you know and that really is kind of hard especially now with the economy is the way it is you know a lot of us are living paycheck to paycheck and and barely getting by and yet you still strive to the way patrick says I want to fit in, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily buy into that whole thing. I am who I am. I march to the beat of my own drum, but it's, I would say, yes, it's still more prevalent than ever with most people. No, I agree. I agree. I worry that when I wear my Deftone shirt out of the house, people look at me and go, oh, you saw it on TikTok. Like, I, I, you know what? You weren't even born when they came out, you little <laughs> dick. Shut up. I remember when this album came out. I was alive then. I was an adult then. <laughs> um... Have but you yeah. met my husband, the gatekeeper? Yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm not. I just stand next to it. <laughs> Give people dirty looks when they walk you're, through. You're like a, you're like the guy, the little troll guy in uh, Monty Python. You got to answer three uh, questions. More like Danny DeVito in Always Sunny. You got to pay the troll toll <laughs> before you can get into this boy's hole. <laughs> Let's not go crazy, but maybe. Um, anyway. I feel like we should move on. <laughs> that was first impressions. Let's go on to cast and crew. <laughs> Congratulations, you took it to a weird place. Don't I always? Yes. <laughs> so this movie obviously stars Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman. Also appearing in this film are Justin Thoreau as Timothy Bryce, Josh Lucas as Craig McDermott, 
Bill Sage as David Van Patten, Chloe Sevigny, Seventy. Seventy as Jean. Why is it she only gets one name? I'll point that out in a second. Reese Witherspoon is Evelyn Williams, Samantha Mathis is Courtney Rawlinson, Matt Ross plays Lewis Carruthers, Jared Leto, aka the Joker, <laughs> plays Paul Allen. It's Morbin time. Willem Dafoe <laughs> plays Donald Kimball. That's that's really all your main characters. Uh, Kara Seymour plays Christy. And Genevieve Turner plays Elizabeth. Guinevere Turner. What did I say? Genevieve. Okay, it's also that other thing. <laughs> so, Sorry, I like Guinevere Stephen Turner. Bogert plays Harold Cairns. Um, I just think it's interesting that Chloe Savini's character is... 70. 70. Is, she's pretty central to the story, and she's one of the only main characters that just has one name. Well, she's a secretary. She doesn't deserve more than one. Okay, no. Justin, That's a joke. Justin Thoreau's character doesn't deserve a last name. Uh, Josh Lucas's character doesn't mm-hmm. deserve a last name. And uh, Matt Ross's character doesn't deserve a last name. But she's Yes, like, he does. I will argue that Matt Ross's character <laughs> deserves everything. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe. But she's one of the very, very few sympathetic characters in this film. Actually, there's probably only two sympathetic characters in this film. Give her a last name. Yeah. Don't be a dick. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's because so she won't wear skirts. Or heels. Or heels. Uh, that pretty much does it for the cast. Um, interesting thing is that Guinevere Turner was one of the writers. Mm-hmm. So that's where I got that name from. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I said Genevieve, didn't I? Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah I did corrected again. you. <laughs> All right, thanks. So she played a character, and she was one of the writers. One other interesting thing is that Kelly Heron, which was the daughter of the director, I guess? Sister? Sister of the director. Oh, yeah. Plays the bartender in uh, one of the opening scenes of the film. Yes. So I'm just going to turn it over to you, because I'm getting it all wrong. <laughs> I give up. Okay, uh, what did you think about the story? We're, uh, let me preface this with we're not going into our theories until the end. We've got three major theories here that we're looking at. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sprinkle my theory throughout the podcast. No! And then you have to wa- listen to the listen to it many times until you can piece it together. No, that's not fair. <laughs> it's going to be like a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> oh, you want to play, play a game? game. <laughs> Fist bump! Nice. Uh, so what did you, yeah, honestly, what did you think about the story? On the first pass, I, I didn't care for it, I guess. But then when I watched it and paid attention, I felt like it's... Well, like I said before, it's still relevant. It's still a relevant story. Um, it's a lot deeper than I gave it credit for on the first pass. There's a lot more there. I can understand where a lot of the conspiracy theories came from. Mm-hmm. I can see where people would draw a lot of different conclusions about is it real? Is it fake? Is he imagining all this? Is he Patrick Bateman? How many licks does it take to get this in a Tootsie Pop? <laughs> the world may never know. They may never know. <laughs> uh, but the answer's there. It's there. And I think I found it. I don't know. You don't think this is like a David Lynch thing where you don't necessarily have to have the answers? I don't think you have to. I don't, you don't have to know whether it was real or imagined in order to enjoy the film and get the message. I don't think so. And, and I know you and I stand on two different sides of the fence, whereas I kind of like an ambiguous ending. I don't I don't have to have it spelled out for me. I, I like being able to leave and the writer ask for you to fill in your own blanks and take away some your own opinion about it so i don't i don't necessarily need a concrete ending don't get me wrong i like an ending i do appreciate an ending but one like this where they give enough throughout the film where i feel like you can draw a conclusion and i may draw a different conclusion that you do 
But in my mind, I can sort of reconcile everything and come up with this is what I think happened. Mm-hmm. I can come up with this is this would be the logical end of this or the reasoning for it, right? I like those. I don't like films that are so fucking abstract that even after you've watched it five times, you're still like, I don't know what the fuck happened. I don't like that's just that's just a director stroke in their ego. I agree to disagree. Because I mean, by the time you get to that point, do you did they even give you a story that made sense? You know. I don't. I don't know. I like being able to to draw my own conclusion from it. Well, that's what I'm saying. But I mean, it would. Be, it, I like it when the, a film gives you enough to draw a conclusion, not that you and I reach the same conclusion, and not that either of us are right, mm-hmm. but just that it gives you enough material that you can watch it a few times, think about it, and go, oh, "Okay, I think I got this." As opposed to some films where it's just sort of a hodgepodge of weird shit that they threw together. And they tell you to draw your own conclusions. You're like, I, you didn't give me anything to go on. I can't solve this equation unless you tell me what X is. Mm. <laughs> you I don't guess I, mean? I need that. I, I, I think part of the reason I love film as much as I do is, and, and I like, you know, yes, this show is horror films, but I like all film. I'm, I'm really an all film lover. And for me, sometimes it's about the art, not necessarily, you know, I've got to have a point A and a point B in something in between. I, I like sometimes just being visually, visually stimulated. I like to look at something and go, ooh, ah, that's, that's beautiful. See, that's the difference between us, though, uh-huh. is that I need something to have a function. It needs to have a purpose. So I used to do carpentry and... Ashley will tell you that I bought, I built some things that were really, really pretty. But whether or not they were visually appealing was secondary to their function. My primary objective always was to make something that functioned as it should. <laughs> and if it happened to be pretty when I got done with it, that's fantastic. But okay. Like me. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> there you go. So we just, we just come at it from two different, because I'm not super artsy. So we look at it from two different two different perspectives, I think. I need form and function. Yeah. So with me being the, the spooky art chick, like what, what function do I serve? I can't talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> it's not I already said it. That's not this this is not that kind of podcast. Oh, you Lord. keep me out of jail. <laughs> there we go. I don't know. That's a pillow talk episode. You leave it alone. Stop polluting dead and married with your pillow talk subject matter. Uh, let's How about see. you? Uh, let's see. I, I'm, I'm allowed to talk. It's okay for me to talk. Well, you know, what? you kept making fun of me and interrupting me. <laughs> yes. Uh, what do you think of the story? I, I, I guess I'm like you, except that I understood the story. The, I understood the assignment the first time. So I didn't really watch it the first time, <laughs> but I, I understood it, but I think that now on more subsequent watches, I understand it on a deeper level maybe than I used to. And before everybody comes at me like, oh my God, what's wrong with her? She needs help. I think probably everyone can relate to it on a deeper level that you don't necessarily want to tell polite company about. Not that you want to play in the bartender's blood, but that whole thing about the mask. And I don't mean Jim Carrey. (laughs) I mean that mask or the hats that we wear every day just to function in polite society. You know, you wear your mask that, hey, I'm I'm phlebotomist lady whenever I go to work. When I come home, I'm mom or, or I'm wife. 
whenever I'm out in public, I'm, you know, I'm friend or I'm sister or I'm daughter or all these things that you're constantly juggling. But when you're alone with your thoughts and you're able to be yourself, that mask comes off and you have those innermost deep thoughts that you couldn't, even to your spouse, could not tell them about, you know. So you're talking. That's what Pinterest boards are for. I think you're referencing his his monologue towards the beginning. Um, and it says, and just the part of it, it says, and though I can hide my cold gaze and you can shake my hand and feel flesh gripping yours, and maybe you can even sense our lifestyles are probably comparable, I am simply not there. Yes. And that, yeah, I was all about surface level mm-hmm. when I watched it the first time. I didn't expect to get anything else out of it. So I'm, but yeah. So, so yes, in that way, I think the story is great. But also being a child of the 80s, I love going back and getting to visit that moment in time. Again, you know, neither one of us were brought up in this this type of culture. But at the same time, you know, everything, it, it feels like a different, I mean, it is a different era, but it just feels like it's a different planet almost. You know, you know what was going on with the world at that time. And it's fun because I am an avid, avid lover of the 80s, 80s film, 80s music, 80s fashion. Like I'm here for all of it. So I love going back and kind of, you know, not necessarily the way people were treated, the way people behaved back then. But I guess aesthetically, I really enjoy it. Yeah, the 80s were pretty wild. Um Reagan was president, and it was basically just completely unrestrained capitalism. He deregulated a bunch of shit, and the economy was fantastic. If was it if though? if you had money to begin with, I was gonna say you know Reaganomics <laughs> happened, and a lot of people were on the shit end of the stick. Yes, they were, and there were a lot of scandals. But during that era, if you were already a person of means when he did all that shit, then you just got more means. Mm-hmm. Like the rich profited from what he did, right? The poor people did not, right? Um, a lot of people lost businesses and their homes and yeah. Which is another thing is that they, they really, this may not be the segment to talk about it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, they reference Les Miserables mm-hmm. a bunch of times mm-hmm. in this film. And you see the poster that's in uh, Bateman's apartment several times. Then they talk about going to see it. The thing is, is that Les Miserables is basically this from the poor people's point of view. Right. And so now they're sort of glamorizing or whatever the poor that they are stepping on. Mm-hmm. It's it's weird. Yeah. Right? They're excited to be able to go see this hot Broadway musical. But Le Miserable is about the poor people who get stepped on by people like him. Right. So. Anyway. You're so smart. Yeah. <laughs> I have my moments. <laughs> okay. I so, just wish they were closer together. <laughs> um, There's not really any special effects to speak of in this movie. There's some kills, but even the kills, a lot of it happens off screen. You get a lot of blood splatter. There's a lot of restraint De- shown Dexter, in this. Dexter would love this because there's a lot of blood splatter, but there's really not <laughs> much else. Yeah. I can't just off the top of my head think of much special effects apart from severed head in the freezer, maybe, or the chainsaw kill. Yeah, a lot of it's just implied, and they really do, I feel like, a good job with what the limited effects are of kind of letting your imagination do its worst because the very first time he has the uh the sex worker and the other sex worker i guess they both one of them was an independent contractor <laughs> and the other one was sort of a a, a higher an escort paid maybe escort yeah uh, and, uh, you know, they do their thing, which I remember being a lot more graphic than it actually is. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's it's implied and your imagination does it 
does its worst with what you don't see. But then when it's over, you know, he wakes up and he's he's got a coat hanger in his hand and he's like, we're not done yet. Mm-hmm. And then you see him leave it and they're both just beat to hell. Mm-hmm. And one of them's got scratches on her back. And then the, the independent contractor is like, just grabs your money and goes. I couldn't really see and you the don't, aftermath on her. And you don't, but then later her. when he comes back to her and she's like, I may need surgery. You're like, what the hell did yeah, you do? Yeah, I had do? to go and to so, the emergency room. Yeah, so you... Your mind sort of imagines, what did he do with that? Yeah, because I'm looking at her and I'm going, I don't see, you know, like the other girl, she had scratches on her back and shit and her face was was busted up. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other girl, I didn't see anything on her physically. And when she's saying, I may have to have surgery, I'm going, what the fuck? And where the fuck? (laughs) Where did that coat hanger go? And yeah, so that's, I I don't know. I don't know if that's more, that's not really an effects thing, though. That's more of a writing thing. Yeah. And it, it was it was cut and edited and written in such a way that it really lets your brain do all the dirty work. Mm-hmm. And I like that. So I guess we can't really talk since we can't really talk about special effects. Let's let's talk about makeup effects. They're 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 aesthetic. I think that they captured that yuppie, you know, eighties smarmy guy so fucking well. And I love the fact that they're so interchangeable. They all look alike. Like. Yes, you can tell this is this is Christian Bale and this is Justin Theroux and this is Matt Ross and Josh Lucas. You you can tell like they're all different guys, but at the same time, you know, they're all wearing the same suits. They're all wearing the same glasses and watches and their hair's styled the same. Um but their hair one one's haircut's a little better. Right, slightly better. Slightly but, better. But and then you go into the club and you see all these party goers that are wearing the full 80s fashions and you know, you got your your goth guy at the restaurant at the beginning. I was really disappointed we didn't see any MC Hammer pants. <laughs> but I love like I was saying, I love the aesthetic of it. It just they the actors, they portrayed this so damn well that it almost does feel like you're in a time capsule a little bit. Yeah, watching this made me wonder about Mad Men. Because isn't Mad Men a similar... A different decade. Different decade, but you've got a bunch of these... It's it's just carbon copies of the same guy. I did think about Mad Men a little bit, especially with Gene. Yeah, they've never... We've never watched Mad Men, but apparently it's super popular. (laughs) Um, But no, I agree. I think the makeup effects were really good. Even with the kills, like the blood splatter that I referenced was really good. Um... I don't know how much of that on Bale was actually makeup, though. I think that might just be him. He is Which they did say that he adopted <laughs> that the beauty regiment that he talks you through at the beginning of the movie. He was actually doing that every day. Right. And, and he did go as far as to get his teeth capped because he felt like if Patrick Bateman was this perfect and accepted nothing less than perfection, he wouldn't have just normal everyday right. teeth, you know, like a smear mortals do. Right. So he went and got them he got capped. Tom, he got Tom Cruise teeth. Yeah, the only one that I questioned was Justin Thoreau, who has brown eyes, and for some reason he had blue contacts on, or green contacts or something, and it did take me out of it every time he was in a scene, because I'm like, oh honey, you have such beautiful brown eyes, why would you do that to yourself? But I don't don't know what the reasoning was behind that, I don't know the the choice, but it was off-putting a little bit. I don't know what color his his eyes are naturally, so that did not bother uh, me I'm at all. I'm sorry, I'm a big Justin Thoreau fan. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> I will explain it to you later. <laughs> yeah, please. Let's do, this. Let's do that off mic. <laughs> so now it's time to talk about the acting. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> let's talk about Christian Bale. I, you know, I, you know, if somebody ever puts me on the spot and says, who's your favorite actor? 
I don't know that I would be able to come up with one off the top of my head. But then today I was thinking about it and I thought, no, Christian Bale is probably my favorite actor. And now that we've thrown Howl's Moving Castle into the mix, that just was like the sweetest cherry on top. So for anyone who didn't listen to that episode, Christian Bale did the voiceover for the English dub in Howl's Moving Castle. And people are going, what the fuck is Howl's Moving Castle? Why do I care? It's a cartoon and you should just go watch it. Our younger listeners will know what that is. Just watch it. (laughs) If you're a grown up and you haven't seen it, go see it. I really wish I had stayed awake through the whole thing. <laughs> but uh but no, he to be fair, I have not seen every single film that he's made because he typically does a lot of that Oscar Beatty shit now. But there are so many films and and I have not watched The Machinist and I really need to get on that. I've seen parts of it. He's scary in that. Yeah, film. I need to watch that so bad. But one of my, another one of my favorite films of, of his that's actually went really far under the radar was a film called called uh, Harsh Times, where he's a soldier suffering with PTSD, and it's so fucking good. And it's another one where he's he really immersed himself in it and was kind of low key terrifying in certain scenes and so good. And I mean, I've stated on more than one occasion he's my favorite Batman. Come for me, I don't give a shit. But and you didn't even bring up Equilibrium where him and I've never seen Equilibrium. Tay Diggs have a pistol foo showdown. Yeah. He probably wants to imagine that film doesn't exist, but I liked it. <laughs> but no, I just I love that he he always gives a film 100 percent, you know, even even to go into something like Thor Love and Thunder, which I know was kind of panned by most people. I will. I think we've said on this show before, he was the bright spot of that film. I mean, he dif- he got a different assignment from everybody else. He went in there and gave everything and had parts that were actually really sad and gut wrenching and, you know, everybody else was doing screaming goats and, you know, splits in the air and shit. But he went into there and gave you something that was compelling. Listen, you know, Thor never does the reading. (laughs) He's the only one that did the reading. Uh, I agree. I think that his performance in that one would have been more fitting for a DC movie though. Cause it was really serious Mm -hmm. and thought provoking and fucking sad. Uh, I agree. I don't, I don't care for that movie, but I love him in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. Yeah, one more screaming goat. Just one more. They, somebody, <laughs> somebody was standing on set saying more cowbell. Taika Waititi. Goddamn Taika. <laughs> How do you do what we do in the shadows and then do that? I don't know. Uh, ah, that's neither here or there. Neither here hair or there. there. I can't. Hair 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 I can't. Hair. I can't talk. But no, I just. I, I can't say enough thing good things about the way he performs. I mean, I know a lot of people give method actors a lot of crap and, oh my God, it's not that serious, but we're not talking Jared Leto. Although, to be fair, I feel like Jared Leto did pretty great in this film too. Um, this was before he, you know, started giving people condoms and rats and all that to be the Joker. I think that you can do method acting and do it correctly. And I feel like Christian Bale does it correctly. Like I, you were, you mentioned Daniel Day Lewis earlier. He's one that I would put up there with him and like Leonardo DiCaprio, those guys that, that do it correctly. Oh, is, is Leo a method actor? Yes. He, he didn't start that way, but he has become that way. So here's the thing about method actors. And I know that there are some people, there are some directors that don't like method actors. I don't know how you could do acting well and not be a method actor because you'd have to be in that headspace right? or be able to call it up instantly. 
And some of the characters that these people play, it would be really hard to get there unless you were just walking around in it all the time mm-hmm. to get your to get yourself in the right mindset. And there are a couple of really, really famous actors out there that I would call it that I'm sure are not method actors, but they basically play the same character all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it's bad. It's just... Jesus, I can't. Ryan believe Reynolds. It. I can't believe I'm gonna. The Rock. This. No, not even them. I, <laughs> fuck, they're gonna stone me. Robert De Niro. Oh, okay. Unbelievable actor. Mm-hmm. In every movie, he's just Robert De Niro. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, I can. I see don't that. think he's method, but when, <clears throat> excuse me, when you see him cast in a movie, you know exactly what you're gonna get. It doesn't matter if it's Heat or Meet the Fockers. He's just gonna be Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he is a character unto himself. Right. But for an actor to, or an actress for that matter, to go into a film and really be someone else, I think method would be the only way to do that. Yeah. You'd have to totally submerge yourself in that persona mm-hmm. in order to really pull it off. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how he has felt about this, if you ever heard the interview, but who he based it on to get this performance, I thought was really wild too. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Because... He said that he had watched an interview with him and that he noticed that he was he was performing a certain way in front of the crowd and to the talk show host, but that there was nothing behind his eyes. And that's not something I ever thought of watching Tom Cruise because I'm a huge, huge fan of Top Gun um, and the character of Maverick. But I never looked at him that way. You ever look into a shark's eyes? <laughs> It's like a doll's <laughs> But, no, I just... And I, I, I want to give a shout-out also to Samantha Mathis. And, is her, no, it's not Evelyn Reese Witherspoon is Evelyn. I can't remember the her character's name. But she's the character that uh, Patrick is having an affair with. She did so fucking good of just being that, I don't know where I am. I'm completely stoned out of my gourd all the time and it's like you when she has these moments where you think she's going to say something profound or give you more about her character she just slips back into and i'm passing out again you know it's i thought she she just played that role brilliantly and yeah that was samantha mathis yeah i think she no i'm talking about her character's name courtney Um, yes courtney that's it um i think she did such a terrific job like she was the other standout for me well, yeah. I mean, apart from Willem Dafoe, everybody fucking loves Willem Dafoe. Yeah. I, and he had his own kind of method for his part, too, which was interesting. I don't know. Was that his idea or was it someone else's? I don't know. So, during, I guess, just to sort of explain that. So, during this the interrogation scenes, I guess you'd call it, the interview scenes, um, he plays, they say he's a detective, but it also says he was hired by the parents. Well, you don't, you don't go down to the police station and just hire a cop to do an investigation. Right. So, clearly, he was a private detective. Um, they recorded one where he doesn't believe Bale, one where he does, and one where he doesn't care, or something like that. Yeah. They recorded three completely different interactions and then cut them all together. So his his part of it is really confusing. Yeah. <laughs> when you're watching, it's like, does he suspect him? Does he not? Does he just want to go get coffee? What's going on? And it's so seamless, too, that you would never know that those are all three distinct cuts. Yeah. 
So I, because, you know, we have the we have the running gag around here of is he Willem Dafoe or is he Willem Defriend in this one? And it, it it's great watching him go in and he's your buddy. And, you know, do you listen to Huey Lewis and, and all that stuff? Which every time I heard that, I kept thinking of Borat. This is my son, Huey Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it was it was great. It feels Willem Dafoe is always terrific. In he was whatever Willem he's to in. undecided in this film. Right. Um, watching Willem Dafoe is like watching a masterclass, I, I feel like. And to me, it doesn't matter what he does, you know, whether it's Spider-Man or it's Antichrist. He's another one that just always brings his A game to whatever role he does. Yeah. And he's, I don't want to say this. He's always Willem Dafoe in whatever he's in, but his face is so expressive that he really sells whatever emotion it is that he's feeling. Like, when he smiles, you buy it. It's like, dude, let's go get a drink. But when he gets pissed, you're like, god damn, get away from me. What's your I favorite mean, Willem Dafoe role? Oh, it's oh, it's Boondock Saints. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, say, it has to be Smacker. It's, I fucking it's love It's always yeah. Smacker. <laughs> but I think Agent that's part of it. fucking Smacker. Yeah, he just, he he's great. Anytime he's, anytime he's on screen, he's great. So, for me, acting-wise, Christian Bale, like the meltdown when he does the confession, mm-hmm. is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um there's an interaction between him and I guess an ex-girlfriend at the dry cleaners and he's trying to get away and she clearly wants to go out with him and he's making all these excuses and he goes out the door. And if you're watching it really closely, mm-hmm. he goes from the smiling and then he drops the mask for just an instant, right as the door's about to close. And you see that dead face, the, the doll's eyes, right, right before the door closes. And you're like, holy shit. Like yeah. that's a really nuanced performance from him. As far as the other guys like uh, Justin Thoreau and Josh Lucas and Bill Sage, uh, nothing against them. They played bros exactly like you would expect them to but play. But they did Wall a Street good job bros. doing that. Though. Yeah, they weren't likable characters, but they I believed that they were douchebags. So <laughs> it's something else I want to point out is there's not many moments. Uh, I mean, yes, he Patrick does have that big meltdown at the end. But there are also scenes, not they're not very often throughout the film, where he does kind of crack. And you can see it just a little bit where there's that slight crack, like like uh, the pulling out of the business cards or the, the scene in the bathroom between he and Matt Ross's character in the washing of the gloves, um, where you can see that he's trying so hard to maintain. And there's a scene... Um, where he's shutting himself in in an elevator and he looks like he's about to cry. There, There's not very many of those moments where he looks like he's on the verge of tears, but for him to go so from so composed to I'm, I'm fucking losing my mind is another thing that I find so relatable. It's, it's a thing that I, I do on a regular fucking basis now. So I, I absolutely get that, you know, like I'm keeping it together and keeping it together. Fuck, I'm losing my shit. Yeah, and there's he's got a prescription, and you can see you see the pill bottle at one point during the during the film, and then towards the end he's just like chewing the bottle, chewing them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never see what it is, but just that it is clearly a prescription bottle mm-hmm. for him. Um, and it made me wonder, like, is that supposed to be like anti anxiety meds or something? Or because he's, psychotics, <laughs> he only seems to take them when he's freaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, I but- we watched it. Uh, uh, we watched it with subtitles this time too, or or not this time. There was, a, there was a time, you know, I mostly watched it without subtitles, but when we started studying it, um, I watched it with subtitles. And there was one part that 
it ruined it for me almost because there's the scene where he's chewing the pills and he's on the phone with Jean and she's telling him what he has for the day and he's screaming at her just say no and for the longest time she asked him you know if, is there something wrong and I thought he said I'm just so fucking sad now I know from the subtitles he says stop sounding so fucking sad or don't sound so fucking sad I preferred it when he said thought when I thought he said I'm just so fucking sad. Like it was a confession. Yeah. Almost. Which he was kind of in that mode at that point. Yeah. Because that when I thought that's what he said, that would kick me in the gut every time. Yeah. Um, But back to the acting. You had mentioned Samantha Mathis. I feel like she did a great job. Chloe Sevigny. She did a good job. Although I would have liked to see her played a slightly stronger character in this. Mm -hmm. She's a great actress. Um, And she did come off really well as sort of the meek. She's a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. But really, she just wanted to please him. She mm-hmm. was clearly in love with the guy um, and was willing to do anything uh, for him. But I just would have liked to see her play a, a stronger character. Reese Witherspoon, she's always pretty good. I thought she was funny. I uh, loved her, her performance. Was, was she was... sells like that debutante type entitled rich girl thing really well. I will say she was borderline hammy, but it was still very funny and entertaining. Yeah, I like her fake crying in the middle of the restaurant when he's breaking up with her. Right. She's like. <laughs> Yeah, and of course, Jared Leto is just Jared Leto. He's good. As long as he's not playing the Joker, he's great. I used to love Jared Leto. Used to just fucking adore everything that he was in, and then, yeah. I think that's what happens Joe when Morbius you start happened, uh, and believing went, your own hype. Yeah. I mean, he has his own sex cult, so... I mean, if you go back to Fight Club, <laughs> it's fantastic, but then the last few projects yeah. have not been so impressive. I'll yeah. just stop there. <laughs> Morbius. <laughs> Morbius. <laughs> so the score. You talk first because I didn't know there were music in this film. Um, Actually, I, I did, but I'll, you still go first. I, I don't think there's anything particularly special about the score itself in this one. I feel like it's your standard ominous psychological horror score. But I will say that the soundtrack is absolutely a banger. <laughs> I fucking love it so much. Like I said, I'm I'm a huge, huge fan of 80s music. And this is one that it's like one song after the other after the other. Like I'm sitting there singing along as I'm watching it. And um, me and London, one of our favorite scenes is obviously him walking through work with his headphones on listening to Simply Irresistible. And I remember London saying... Dude, that's me walking through school every day. <laughs> you know, I have this horrible look on my face, but then I'm walking through the halls listening to Banana Man or something. <laughs> but yeah, we just, I i cannot understate how much I enjoyed the soundtrack, the nightclub scenes and all that. I'm just like, yes, this is a time I wish that it was an adult in instead of a child. <laughs> yeah. So I agree with you. I feel like the soundtrack was great. You know, you got some Huey Lewis in the news, mm-hmm. and that, it was great. Huey Lewis. I'm, Huey Lewis. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that. Um, as far as the score goes, it didn't really stand out to me mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. There was only one scene. It's at the very beginning when he's doing his morning routine, and you've got that yeah. piano playing in the background, mm-hmm. and it fits. I feel like it it's, was a very it's, understated It stood score. out to me. No, but I'm just talking about that one section, the piano at the beginning. Uh, it, it stood out to me, and it felt really appropriate. I feel like it added to the scene. Mm-hmm. Nothing amazing or dramatic or iconic about it. I mean, I'm not going to hear that and go, "Oh, that's American Psycho." It's not. It's not that kind of thing. I just feel like it really fit the mood 
mm-hmm. uh, for what was going on there. Kind of. So piano makes you always think it's sort of uh, higher class, I guess. Yeah. Upper crust. Mm-hmm. And that's clearly the persona that he's trying to put out. So it just felt it all fit together well. Well, that's what I was going to say about the opening credits when, you know, we think we're seeing blood, but instead we're seeing all these ridiculous dishes come out and they're playing that very symphonic style music. And so it puts you in that frame of mind of, oh, yes, we're dealing with the elitists here. Like, yeah, we're dealing with classy people. So, yeah, the other thing that that opening scene uh, lets you know is that it was still in the 80s because smoking was still allowed in restaurants. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You remember that? Yeah. You used to I walk remember. into places and there'd be ashtrays on the table. I remember like uh, cigarette vending machines. I still see those in some, some really? places I go. Yeah, except a pack of cigarettes like $10. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good time to be a smoker, unfortunately. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, but yeah, I remember that when people would go and you could just smoke in a restaurant. Any, there wasn't like a smoking section either. It was just like the whole place. Yeah. It was crazy. You could still smoke in the hospital. And you could smoke in elevators. Gosh, I wish I could still smoke in a hospital. <laughs> Yeah, you, there are days where I've needed to so fucking bad. It used bad. to be, it was like the Wild West. You could smoke <laughs> anywhere you wanted to. Yeah. Or in the airport. God, we could There was used... a time when you could smoke in airplanes. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I remember ha- seeing ashtrays in the armrests yep. and shit. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's changed so much. Good times. I don't know about all that. You could but... you could ride in the back of your car with no car seats. Yeah. <laughs> I took an entire road trip one time in the back of a station wagon with no seatbelt and no car seat. Just play, think, playing I, with matched cars? Playing with my Hot Wheels and my <laughs> Green Army Men. I don't think we even owned a car seat. <laughs> so, are we are we all the way down to quote, kill, and... Think? I got a couple things I'd kind of like to point out I before was gonna we say, get let, to that. Before we start trying to wrap up, let's discuss theories and whatever it is you have well there's just a couple of i actually took notes on this one i did that's new so one thing that i noticed did you notice that he's the only person you ever see wearing headphones in this film no one else you see no one else wearing headphones not in he's wearing them in the car when he's talking to reese witherspoon he wears them at work he is the only person in the 80s headphones uh, walkmans right were super popular Uh he's the only person that ever wears them Maybe it was like CD players I, where you had to take out a second mortgage to get one. No, it would have been a tape. It would have been a cassette in the 80s. Yeah. Although, when Willem Dafoe's flashing that thing around, it was a CD. Yeah. Were there CDs in the 80s? Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, it just... We were poor. I, we were we poor. Had, we, you know, we, had we, had, we got cassette tapes or but, made mixed tapes. But either way, he's the only person you see doing that. And I would think that at least at some point in the background, you would see someone else. And it made me wonder, are they just trying to illustrate the fact that... The only time he is interested in interacting with the outside world is when it facilitates the improvement of his facade. If he thinks there's no one around that matters, then he would just he would rather cut himself off from the rest of the world completely. Because he never wears them in front of someone whose opinion he cares about. He wears them in front of Reese Witherspoon, but he doesn't give a shit what she thinks. Right. You never see him wearing them in front of his friends or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And even when Jean, when she comes into the office, he takes them off. So mm-hmm. on some level, he cares what she thinks. But she's a, a subordinate to him, mm-hmm. right? So when he really wants to distance himself from everyone else, that's when he puts them on. I can relate. <laughs> I noticed that. 
Um, everyone in this film pretends to be uh, really invested in social issues. Mm-hmm. Like he has the biggest dialogue about feeding the hungry and all that stuff. And then if you notice the things that he mentions as you proceed through the film, he proceeds to violate every single thing that he said they need to be working on. Right. Beginning with feeding the homeless and then he kills all the homeless that stuff. guy. And the, the first person you see him kill is a homeless guy. And then he's talking about foreign policy, and then he's and he's screaming at the people yes. at the dry cleaners like yes. he. He almost immediately goes against everything he just said. Right. But all of them have this, like it's it's popular uh, or trendy to be interested in foreign politics and social issues, even though none of them believe it. Right. Uh, he is, the pictures in his apartment. This is the thing that I noticed that I didn't until I tell you about this. Did you notice he has three pictures in his apartment? One of them is a woman's body. The other one is a man's body. There's no face on either picture. There's a picture of a cowboy riding a horse in the yeah, hallway, but you can't one. see the face. So he has representations of people, but only the parts that he considers important, which is what they look, what they physically look like and what they're wearing. Because their face doesn't matter. And as you go through the film, clearly names don't matter. Your identity doesn't matter. What you wear and what you look like does. Interesting. So the pictures in his apartment represent the way he views everyone else. Mm-hmm. What you wear... And your, I guess your level of fitness is yeah. the only thing he cares about. You did. Now I'm, now I'm having a, I'm having a thought. Oh my God. You mentioned Les Miserables. There's the scene, you know, at the beginning when he's getting ready and he's, he's taking a piss. Right. And there's that Les Miserables poster and he sees his reflection in that poster. Right. So it is like you were talking about. It's almost like it's showing this. His, duality his apartment tells you who he is yeah the other thing that i let's see let me keep going um in the dry cleaners the sign behind the counter says you feel better when your clothes look better which sums up almost the entire movie uh-huh. um the dry cleaning lady understood his threat yeah she reacted to it she they're acting like the whole that whole thing leading up to that point like they couldn't understand each other she understood exactly what she what he said she when she freaked out um, when he was speaking about the tasteful thickness of Paul Allen's card, that's just dirty. <laughs> that's, that's just dirty. <laughs> uh, at one point he says he's going to have lunch with Cliff Huxtable from yeah. the Cosby's. Yeah. Good job. Nice reference. He was just making shit up. The last thing that I, that I would wanted to point out was the lighting in the film. I know we didn't really talk about it. It could have been under effects or whatever, but I feel like the lighting was really well done, but it doesn't affect anyone but... Uh, Patrick Bateman. So the scene I'm thinking about in particular is anytime he's being sort of the nicer guy, his public face, his face is fully lit. Mm-hmm. Anytime he is in the act of being a dirty Monster. bastard or on his way there, they cut his face. It's half shadow and half whatever. It's like it represents the duality of him. For instance, uh, when he's trying to pick up the independent contractor. <laughs> For the second time, uh-huh. when he's making all the promises and stuff, uh-huh. his face is fully lit. As soon as she gets in the car and he leans back, it's half and half. Huh. I didn't notice that. Yeah. He goes half and half a lot. And it's usually right before either he's in the middle of doing something bad or he's about to. Wow. It's like you can see the personality shift in how his face is lit. As long huh. as his face is fully lit, he's going to, for the most part, try to keep up appearances. When one side falls into shadow, he is not trying to keep up appearances anymore. Wow, I'm going to have to watch it thinking about that next time. That's that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Why are you being smart today? I don't know. <laughs> it's the Sam Adams. <laughs> All right, let's move on then. So, so let's let's talk theories. You You did tell me your theory. Do you want me to do the whole thing? Sure. Go okay. for it. 
So there's a lot of debate as to whether or not this was something that really happened, whether Bateman really killed all these people or it was all in his head. I believe he really did it. He killed all those people and got away with it. Here's why. In the beginning, you establish that none of these people care enough about any other person to actually remember their names. Um, Alan, when they meet for the first time in that conference room, calls him Habersham. Habersham? Habershell? Halberstrom? Halberstrom. And he continues to think that he's Marcus through the entire film. Mm -hmm. Right? And Bateman does not care enough about Paul Allen's opinion to correct him. He cares about his status because he sees him as being slightly better. But... That was a good impression. (laughs) He doesn't... He doesn't actually care what Alan thinks, so he doesn't bother to correct it. And that happens throughout the film. So... He goes through and he, he starts killing these people. He kills Paul Allen, obviously, but then he changes the message, says he's going to London. Okay. Willem Dafoe shows up and Willem Dafoe said he interviewed this one guy, which I did say that Dafoe's a, a PI, not an actual cop. A real cop would have hauled him in for questioning. They wouldn't have just been really low key about it there in the office. Going to have lunch together. Yeah. And, that's, yeah. I don't think that's how that works. Mm-hmm. But even he said he had interviewed someone else who claims that they had dinner with Alan in Paris, but it could have been this other guy. So the person that Defoe interviewed didn't really care enough about the person they were talking to to remember who they were. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole thing, this narcissism, where people are so self-involved that they, the people that are around them don't even really register except for the material goods and their status. Does that make sense? Yeah. In the limo um, towards the beginning of the film, when he's riding with uh, Witherspoon... She says, your dad basically owns the company, so you can do whatever you want. So we know that he's important within the company, uh, Pierce and Pierce, that he works for. Mm-hmm. Or at least his father is. So there's some clout there. So he kills Paul Allen, hides the body. As it goes forward, the people he kills, he kills them in Paul Allen's apartment. Defoe gets no further with his investigation. People continue to call uh, Bale by different names mm-hmm. through the whole thing. Smith, Davis, Halberstrom. Right. And at one point during when he and Defoe were speaking, he says the family wants to keep it quiet. They don't want a scene. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So you reach the point where he has killed all these people. He's been killing them inside Alan's old apartment and leaving the bodies there. That's his, his kill room mm-hmm. or whatever. He comes back to it and it's already being renovated right. and trying to be put up for sale. And clearly the landlady or the, the realtor... Um, knows that something's up with him. Something's wrong. She says, you saw the ad in the Times. And he was like, yeah. And she's like, there wasn't an ad in the Times. So she knows he's there for some other reason. Now, whether she thinks he's the killer or thinks that he knows something and he's trying to expose it all, we already know the family's trying to keep it down. And so she tells him he needs to leave. And he says, I'll leave. And you don't have anything to worry about. Nobody wants a scandal in their upper crust family. Correct. Yeah. It's all about appearance. Even Paul Allen's family is trying to maintain appearances by not going to the police they're mm-hmm. going through a PI to try to find him. They're trying to keep everything on the down low. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that means that by the time you get to the end of this film, he has called, he has confessed to his lawyer. His lawyer calls him Davis when they talk. If it's his lawyer and he is heir to the throne or whatever at this company, that lawyer knows exactly who he is. Mm-hmm. There's no way that lawyer doesn't know who he is. He's got to be one of the most important clients that they have. That is a good lawyer protecting his client. By calling him by a different name in a room full of people that he knows are not really paying attention anyway. Mm-hmm. He calls Patrick Bateman kind of a puss. Mm-hmm. Sort of makes fun of him a little bit. Pretends to know nothing about it. Oh, it's a great joke. And acting like he's this person named Davis. Right. Well, if that's his lawyer and it's his job to protect him and protect his own income, he would do exactly that. He would pretend to not know anything. 
He okay. would have deleted that message, right? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, what would happen is Paul Allen gets blamed for all those murders. All those dead bodies got found in his apartment. Paul Allen's nowhere to be found. Yeah. Okay. That's my theory. Okay. So I think he really did it. He got away with it. And at the very end of the film, when he's having drinks with his buddies, he's disappointed on some level. He didn't get caught. Yeah. He has this sort of, it, it's all for nothing. Like yeah. I have all this pain and I want to give it to everyone else. But I think it, he feels almost defeated is kind of what I get from his monologue at the end. Like he did all this stuff and it really, no one cares. Okay. So that's what I think. Well, I'm going to read an, a theory before I give my final theory. Um, this comes from our good friend, uh, Bill Rush or William Rush of Original Cinematic. Okay, so Bill's just going to prove me wrong. That's what's about to happen. <laughs> no, not necessarily. This is just his take. And he did actually tell us um, his take whenever we were riding car together through Pennsylvania. Um, and I remember just sitting and listening like, wow, I never thought of it that way. So... I digress. Here we go. Bill says, Forget whether Patrick Bateman imagined it or didn't. I have watched it thoroughly, and even knowing the book, I examined dialogue, shot selection, evidence, key statements, etc. There is no Patrick Bateman. Never was. It's Marcus Halberstrom, or the name of the law- or the name the lawyer at the end calls him, being Davis. Bateman doesn't exist. It's a personality that Halberstrom is attempting to create. There is an idea of a Patrick Bateman. Indeed, there is. In the schizophrenic mind of Halberstrom, who lives in the same place, wears the same glasses, uses the same barber, etc., Halberstrom's mind is creating this personality and trying to manifest him as an outlet for his psychotic tendencies. He has his own fantasies and gives Bateman a backstory in fantasies. Bateman doesn't exist. The lawyer's reaction at the end is a realization that this man is insane. His notebook with drawings are his fantasies. But he struggles and knows it's weird to create this person. I want to fit in. He never killed Paul. Never killed anyone. Didn't drag a bag through the lobby. Indifference inside. Aside. (laughs) I can't talk. A wealthy building wouldn't allow any mess. He excessively uses drugs and at least one serious medication, which almost certainly an antipsychotic. The yellow tie when he murders the man in the alley indicates deception, lying, sickness. He didn't kill anyone. The whole incident was just another doodle in his notebook. Finally, the song choices he picks from those albums point to this fact. The rare times other people use his name Bateman are him fantasizing that they did. Look closely, and of course, Willem Dafoe is just another personality he makes up. He was never there. That's why he selects that album randomly and knows so much but so little. He's representative of the fear of others finding out about his, Halberstrom's, mental issues and him being exposed. Him learning nothing at the end refers to how refers to how to get better and escape his mental illness. That's pretty loaded, Bill. Like That's a lot. It's it's a lot and I I'm just flabbergasted at the amount of thought that went into this. How many times have you watched this movie? <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. 
and the, and it's brilliant like all of that I, I mean i remember me and bill sitting and discussing you know how to properly dress someone with certain colors to indicate what type of character they are this was something that was very big in breaking bad for instance and just thinking this time upon watching it looking for the yellow and going Oh. There's that scene in the conference room at the very beginning when he's talking to uh, Matt Ross's character. Matt Ross, and they're both wearing yellow. Yeah. And we were both like, oh, they're both lying. They're both hiding something. Yeah, and then the lying. bathroom scene would conclude that, at least on Matt Ross's end. Yeah. That he's he's hiding. But then the other guy's wearing blue ties and red ties. And I was like, I don't know what any of that shit means. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to go back through all that. But damn, Bill, like, that's crazy. And, and thank you so much. Like, I had a blast reading it and going, oh, this is just, it's brilliant. I'm sorry. I I feel Uh, like I need to watch this fucking movie again. (laughs) So thank you, Bill, for that. And thank you, Xena, for emailing it to me. Um, We love you guys. Uh, And I guess I'm going to conclude this segment of my own theory. So mine is very much like yours, Travis, in that I also think he did it. But I also can see how he didn't do it. So I don't know that we're supposed to know. I don't think that we're supposed to have concrete evidence either way. But I do subscribe to the fact, I guess, that he did do it. And that I think it's trying to say something particularly about men in power. um, And maybe particularly in this time period that these guys could literally get away with anything that with enough money and enough power you could literally murder someone and nobody would fucking care let me finish let me finish kanye (laughs) that these guys are a dime a dozen like like you were saying they're all faceless at the end they all dress the same and yada 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 so forth that no one knows who anyone is and therefore he could go and commit these grandiose acts of murder and torture and because no one knows who the fuck he is he just got away with it the other side of the coin is i could also see how he didn't do it in that like bill was talking about having these fantasies about doing it like You know, I just want to fit in, but at the same time, I have these thoughts and I can't do anything with them. So he does create this elaborate story of, you know, if I were to do it, this is what it would look like. And that's his only catharsis in order to just survive and fit in and blend in with people. But again, going back to, I could see him just being a killer hidden right in plain sight. Yeah. So I... I, I think that you could take it any way that you want. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with all the scandals that happened then in the eighties, especially in banking, mm-hmm. um, there were a lot of those guys like that that thought they really could. And yeah. they got away with a lot before they finally got caught. Thank God for the times we're living in now or hail Satan, whichever, um, because guys like that, um, <coughs> Trump are finally getting their comeuppance. And we're seeing more and more that these, these men in power are, not getting away with as much as they used to. Trump was mentioned several times in this film and a lot more in the book. Yeah. And, I mean, that was sort of his heyday. That's when he was running all his real estate scams. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's interesting that he chose that particular person um, to put in a book written in 91, long before current events. Right. That he chose to call him out by name Mm -hmm. multiple times in his book. But, no, I, I agree. 
So I, I kind of subscribe to both of your theories. Well, that's the thing. And that's one of the things I like about this film is that two different people can watch it and both draw a conclusion. Uh-huh. It doesn't have to be the same one. It just has to be one that the viewer is satisfied with. And I, I I'm, get- I'm satisfied with mine. Bill is satisfied with his, although I, I feel like I need to watch it again and look for the shit that he called out. But the point is, is that you can watch it and you can come up with an ending, even though they don't spoon feed it to you. Yeah. And I, I yeah, like I was saying, I think that's what I love about it is that I can see both of those sides and see how they both fit. And I think that's how they intended, like making Defoe do three different shots. All three of them work. And I think that may be the point, is that you could take it either way, and both ways fucking work. Right. I don't think it's meant to be clear. No, it may not. Um, actually, the uh, the director, she said in an interview um, that she never intended to give the impression that it was all in his head. Mm-hmm. That in hers, he did it. He really did it yeah. and got away with it. Um, but she felt like it was her fault because of the ending that uh, she she wished she had left it a little bit more ambiguous than it was because she felt like the way she kind of steered things, it, it lends a lot of that to it being only in his imagination. Mm-hmm. But that's her take on it. <laughs> so. Right. I mean, she she drew a different conclusion, too, mm-hmm. and she was the director. But I, I don't know. I don't necessarily feel like the viewer's vision has to match the director's vision. It's more about what does the film mean to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's one of the things I really like and really dislike about Lynch. You know, <laughs> he's like, well, what do you think it means? That's good enough. You're yeah. wrong, but it's good enough. Yeah. Um, he's one of those kind of like what I was talking about. His, like, I like Twin Peaks, but I like Twin Peaks just because it's interesting. I don't like Twin Peaks because I try to figure out Twin Peaks. There is no explanation for it. I mean, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories about it. But at the end of the day, his is one of those that's so abstract that you have to just take it as art with yes no literal meaning because it doesn't seem to really have one and he's not going to tell you what it is. Yeah. We are, we're probably never going to know what Laura whispered no. to Cooper in that last so episode of So you just the have to watch it because you enjoy it. But I do enjoy a film like this where you can draw a conclusion. Yeah, yeah. So. So, quote, kill, and scene. Are you going first? I guess I can go first first this time. You went first every time. This, no, you usually do. This film to me is insanely quotable. Like, it was hard to pick a favorite line from this movie. (laughs) Like, uh, because there's there's a good part of me that really likes that last monologue he gives. The final scene of the film, this confession has meant nothing. I fucking love that every time. But if I'm trying to look for something humorous that just gets me every fucking time, I love the scene of when he and Justin Thoreau are doing coke in the bathroom stall and they're talking. I think they're talking about AIDS at that point that you can get AIDS from anywhere. And well, the, they were saying that if you can get <laughs> if you can get AIDS by having sex, then you can get like diabetes and all dyslexia. these other. <laughs> you catch dyslexia by having sex. Yeah, but I love that the guy in the stall next to him pops up and he's like, "Can you keep it down? I'm trying to do drugs in here." <laughs> I love that so fucking much. <laughs> but me and London were always like. Uh, I think one of London's favorite quotes was, uh, yeah, it, it's cranberry juice, cran apple, and next Saturday? Like, I think she just loved that scene yeah. so much. And then the, I want to fit in. Like, there was so much of it that was just insanely quotable. It was hard to pick one. But every time he co- comes up and says, I'm trying to do drugs in here, it gives me a cackle every single fucking time. Um, as far as kill, I'm going to go with... Um, 
God damn it. What is Jared Leto's fucking name? Paul Allen. Paul Allen. God damn it. I'm tired. I love his kill probably the best. That just, hey, Paul. And then, and, and I'm about to elaborate even further in just a second. Because that is also my favorite scene of the entire movie. I think from the time Leto is sitting there and asking why there's newspaper all over the floor to the time where he sits on the couch, tries to smooth his hair back, and lights up a cigar all sexified. That scene is just perfection from start to finish. I love the improvisation of him moonwalking across, and I love him going on at length about the Huey, Huey Lewis album sports. Like, that whole scene is just fucking terrific on, on both counts of those performers. So, Travis, now. <laughs> okay, so my favorite quote um, is actually during his confession. Like I like I kind of like the whole thing. I think that as an acting class, he gave one. Yeah. During the the phone confession to his uh, to his lawyer, where he just he spills all the beans, and then like it, at first he seems almost sorrowful about it, like as he's talking about it and he's kind of crying, like he, he's it. I think he's more worried that he's going to get caught yeah. than anything else. But he's clearly he's having he's having some emotions, and then he breaks. And he's talking about that some of the girls have seen the tapes and I ate some of their brains and I even tried to cook a little. But my favorite quote is tonight. I, uh, I just had to kill a lot <laughs> of people and I'm not sure I'm going to get away with it this time. I just had to kill a lot of people. And it's his, it's a hundred percent his delivery. It's, it's <sighs> Christian Bale's fucking crazy. Yeah. Like he sells crazy and apparently he can sweat on command. Because you see him get super sweaty mm-hmm. in a lot of these, and from what I heard in one of the uh, one of the unknown facts things about this film, they weren't spraying him down. He can just do that, right? Which is nuts because mm-hmm. he gets so glossy. <laughs> he does, but yeah, he's a sweaty little bastard. But that scene is—I love that scene. And I, I, I have to give a shout out to to every scene that Matt Ross is in because he was easily one of my favorite characters because I love that he just dotes on him or worships him in every scene that he's in because one, it's fair. Two, it's fucking hilarious. I love that. Oh, where did you get that overnight bag? And, you know, that scene, that Valentino is beautiful, like, like all of it. And then the bathroom scene of them together. I just, I feel like on a comedic level, he owned every damn scene he was in. He did. I mean, he... Because this is, this is an actor that I have also seen be a villain before. Uh, what's what's that Jean Reno movie you love so much? Just Visiting. Um, yes. He was an awful, awful boyfriend. He's a terrible person. In yes. That film. So I, I think he's, he's wonderful. And I can't say enough good things about that character, too. Just love him so much. Yeah. So my favorite scene, it was a tie. It was a three-way tie. Ah. I like I the Paul Allen scene, the whole scene where he's dancing and talking and all that stuff, because it's just crazy. It's, it's his psychosis on full display, mm-hmm. and I love it. Um, I like the face mask scene at the very beginning where he's given his monologue and peels it off, because mm-hmm. I feel like that's like... I don't know. Like I didn't understand. I didn't appreciate it the first few times that I watched the film, but I watched this time and I'm like, that's the whole movie right there. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what you see, but this is not who I am. There is an idea of a Patrick Bateman. Right. You like the idea of, (laughs) there is an idea of a Travis. There is an idea of an Ashley. There is no real Travis. (laughs) Yeah. Underneath there's really the Kool-Aid man. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, and his confession at the end. And I think the reason I like the confession at the end 
not the very very end, but where he's calling his lawyer is just the the acting, like that's a master class I think in in acting for me. Like he he went balls out <laughs> in that scene, and I really like it. But if I was gonna pick one, like the one that I could watch over and over again, it would be the Paul Allen. Mm-hmm. scene like that whole what three four minute sequence where like he's i said it's just put, perfection like, is that a raincoat yes it is <laughs> <laughs> god damn he's got so, a shower or something <laughs> he's so gleeful yeah. about it while he's dancing around and like he's about to fucking kill this guy and he's so happy yeah like, he just had the best chicken tender <laughs> <laughs> he's fucking insane and it's brilliant it's it's awesome so even aiden i I had to laugh because the scene again he he kind of ruffles his hair back and his face is spattered with blood even aiden went and i was like i know right it's he's so fucking hot in this scene and he's like i'm attracted to crazy i don't know what to tell you (laughs) but my favorite kill is gonna be paul allen and it's so the thing about the kills you don't really you don't see any of them you don't see any of them actually happen on film. Mm-hmm. Um, you see him go, hey, Paul, and then, you know, mm-hmm. make your fucking reservations at Dorcia now, you bastard. Yeah. Um, he talks about killing someone with a nail gun. You never see it. You don't know what he does to the two sex workers. You see the 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 one sex worker after she gets killed with the chainsaw, uh, but you don't see the chainsaw actually impact her. So, Right. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the kills, they're they're fine, but you really don't see them. Mm-hmm. For that matter, you don't see the aftermath of what he does to Jared Leto. Right. He's dissolving in a bathtub in Hell's in Kitchen In Hell's somewhere. Kitchen. Yeah. yeah. But that just works. Hey, Paul. And here he comes with the axe. Like, that's that's got to be it. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant performance. So, final thoughts. I'll let you go first this time. Just watch it. As long as you're old enough, you should watch it. <laughs> what it, what is it what did you take away from it what does it say about you what does it say about me it says i'm patrick bateman because <laughs> i too have good taste in music <laughs> i have good taste in music and i'm not who you think i am um i don't know i just i i like it that it kind of even even with today's society it kind of would call everybody out on their bullshit mm-hmm. of the fake veneer that everyone wears of who they are that's what you see is not who they are and social media compounds that uh, so much because the people that you see on there that's not who they are right but unfortunately that's who a lot of people think they need to be and that's what this film is the the armani suits or whatever that other designer was that you said that bale was wearing who was it valentino yeah that's what they wear it's not who they are mm-hmm. and I don't know. I, just, I feel like it's still relevant. So I guess that's kind of my final thought. You should watch it because it has a lot to say that is still relevant today. And the film is not as dated as I thought it would be, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, the size of the phones, you could you could use those to keep a car from rolling downhill. Those are some big fucking cell phones. They probably weighed 15, 20 pounds. Easy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I remember seeing cell phones that were that big. We never had one, but I remember seeing them. But for me, it's done so seamlessly, it still feels like it could be timeless. Well, it's a timeless yeah, tale. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I just, yeah. there's some scenes in it that are dated, but the message is not dated. So I feel like it's it's a movie that can go a long way. Yeah. Because I don't think the message will ever go out of date. Mm-hmm. That, that the What they're saying doesn't have an expiration date. Until people can accept themselves for who they are and people can show who they really are to the public, this film will always have something to say. Yeah. That sounded smart. <laughs> You go next. 
Oh, why? So I can bring the room down? <laughs> I'll bring the matches. <laughs> not, I'm not trying to do it on purpose, but... Yeah, this, this is a film that's always, uh, especially now, I feel like is going to resonate with me, not just because of the importance of it being London's favorite film, but also because while you were just talking about social media and how people fake their life on there, I'm not one of those people. I probably piss people off, especially the last few months, because I don't, I'm not Jared Leto's family of, oh, we just want to keep this quiet. And we, I mean, yes, there are certain details you and I have not talked about publicly because it's nobody's fucking business. It's, it's our family's dealing with it and we'll deal with, deal with it in our own way. But I have not been private about my feelings on this situation. Um, I have not been private about my guilt, what I struggle with. There's no point and, and it helps me to get it out. So if you're one of those people that's on my Instagram going, oh my God, we get it already. Um, fuck you, scroll on because I am going to be open and honest about every single thing that I am struggling with right now. And I'm not a happy camper right now. <laughs> Unlike Patrick Bateman, I am not a happy camper. So I don't agree with having a fake public persona. However, I do understand about wearing that mask in certain situations. You know, um, this is going to sound really shitty and I don't mean for it to you. Even to you, my own husband, I put on a mask of I don't want you to know what I'm thinking or going through because... Like you were talking about last week, you're afraid that it might scare the other person or make them look at you in a different light. So I think you and I, even as, as long as we've been together, still wear a mask in front of each other to a certain degree, right? Um, you have to be a certain way in front of your children because you don't want your children to know that you're falling apart. You know, even though they, they do know it. I mean, especially Aiden, he's, he's so perceptive and he's so sharp. So he, he knows and he's dealing with that in his own right, you know? So it means something to me about you have to put on that mask every day, you know, to let people know I'm okay, I'm functioning, but deep down there's something inside you that's just clawing and gnawing and scratching at you that you need so desperately to get out, but you can't, if that makes any sense. It does. I, well, I, I remember the job I had before that you would see me at work and I would come home and you would be like, I don't know who you are. Yeah. Because I was a totally different guy when I was at that job. Mm -hmm. I don't do that as much where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. um, my coworkers and stuff, like... I just am what I am on whatever particular day it is. Um, I don't, I, there's a pretty intense bro culture there and I just don't participate. Right. So I don't know. I don't feel worse for it. It's just kind of like, you know, my grandpa used to wear weird shorts and outrageous shirts and he would say, well, if people don't like the way I look, then they don't have to look at me. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, that's I'm me. Not, I'm not going to participate, and if you have an issue with that, then feel free to be somewhere else. Yeah. Because this is this is just where I'm at right now. Yeah. And I'm not going to I'm not going to put on something fake so that you can feel better. Yes. And that's really what it is: is people they, they want to be comfortable, and they don't want you to do any or they don't want you to be honest and make them uncomfortable. But I'm not interested in making them comfortable at this point. No, I'm not either. So. So I said. I will grieve however I want to grieve and I will go through this process exactly how I want to go 
do it and you don't like it i don't need you in my life yeah. well i mean i don't i don't necessarily go that far i i, just, I am well, i know you are i'm <laughs> i'm entering my full villain era right now but there are there are times when it's like hey let's go do this i'm like i'm i'm not up for that you guys go do it i'm mm-hmm. not oh come on no no like i'm i'm not up for that level of social interaction today don't take it personally cuz it's not i just don't want to yeah, I mean, I I get invited out a lot, and I think they they take it personally. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. That's not me. It's not what I want to do. It's not where I want to go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm not. I don't care what kind of suit you're wearing. I don't fucking care what your business card looks like. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't care what you think of mine. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> you know you know thinking about that group of guys, it's it's almost the same as dealing with the school moms, which I don't. I also don't participate in anymore. That was a thing when. Aiden in London first started school and I was doing the oh I gotta be in PTO I've gotta sign up for this I gotta be classroom mom and all this shit and it's exactly the same thing you know all the moms drive the same SUVs all the moms wear the same clothes they all put their kids in the same programs and after a while that's just exhausting and so I've gotten to a point where it's like I don't care like I, I want to be who I want to be and I want to raise individuals I don't want to raise carbon copies if my children don't fit in they never have they never will and that's fine i would rather than be an individual who goes out and makes a difference in the world than being a, a copy of a copy of a copy yeah yes i think that would be our message from dead and married to you <laughs> is just be who you are unless you are patrick bateman and you like killing people and maybe experimenting with culinary arts on human flesh don't, don't be, be patrick bateman. don't be you if that's who you are but you can be batman get some help but if you want to be batman <laughs> you can be batman so <laughs> next week on um Again, what we're calling hashtag for London. We're going to be discussing her other favorite movie, Scream. And everybody's going to come for me after that one. <laughs> Everybody. I think it. Aubrey, you bring your torches and pitchforks. You don't think I'm you'll ready. watch it just a little bit differently now, with that lens of she loved it so much. Yes. As does Isabel. Isabel really fucking loves. I will appreciate and accept the fact that they like that movie. And this is a good opportunity to shout Bill and Zena out one more time for the folks in the back. What do you mean one more time? We're going to do it like a million more times. <laughs> they got Isabel this beautiful uh, autographed photo like of the Scream cover with uh, Matthew Lillard's autograph on it, a, a Stu Mocker. And it's so badass when she it's got badass. it. She was like, oh my God. And it's hanging up in her room now. And I've meant to take a photo a hundred times and I haven't gotten around to it. So, well, you just told Bill and Zena it's hanging up. So, no. yes. So, thank you guys. Thank you. Stop thank being you. lazy thank and you. go take the picture because it's badass. <laughs> it is awesome. It is awesome. But yeah, we're going to be talking about that. I mean, I feel like it's another one of those films that what can you say about Scream that hasn't been said a hundred times already? It influenced an entire, you know, I don't feel like horror films, I feel like they changed entirely once that film came out. And I know that that is saying a lot, but. Okay, I'm going to say this. Are you ready? Okay. Scream was the Halloween of its generation. That's fair. Halloween, and I know people go back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Black Christmas and stuff for that, but realistically, Halloween kicked off the slasher genre. I mean, Friday the 13th was the number two biggest one, and they straight up ripped it off and totally admit that they did. 
Scream was sort of the genesis of that type of horror film. Yeah, and then everybody else after that so, ripped them off too. Again, it was the Halloween of its generation. Yeah. And it spawned a million like just shitty copycat movies. <laughs> <laughs> but we will elaborate on that further. Except that Halloween was a perfect film. And He's going to elaborate on it right now. Okay. I'll stop. <laughs> we will elaborate on that further next week. Uh, please consider subscribing, sending us a stop, review. Stop, 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 stop. We didn't MFK this thing. <gasps> we didn't! Holy fucking shit! Well, I mean, I guess you could do that during an <laughs> MFK. That's a different kind of video. I can't believe we did. Oh my God. Yeah, you just. We had, we literally you had our board. all the foreplay. <laughs> It got straight to the fucking... All right, fine. Travis, marry, fucker, kill, American Psycho. I think... I think I could marry this one. (gasps) Wow. That's special. This this is one that I think I could watch on a a pretty regular rotation. Nice. This could almost be like, we'll watch it once a month. Wow. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel pretty pretty good about this one. Nice, because I feel like it's got a lot to say. And again, there's a lot of information to analyze in this film. And I feel like the more you watch it, the more you see. It's kind of like watching a Monty Python film or a Mel Brooks film. Like the more you watch it, the more background shit you see, and you go, oh. And now that's funny. What's or, his face? And, I can't. I now, can't do names right what, now. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> no. And Bill's given me a lot to think about, so I feel like I should revisit it. <laughs> no. God damn it, I'm thinking Get Out and Nope and Us. And uh, I can't. Jordan Peele? Yes, I'm sorry. I was drawing a blank. I was say, don't ask me to say that other guy's name because I have no idea. David Kaluuya. Keegan Michael Key. No. No, okay. no, no. <laughs> tired. Listen, I'm he tired. was in that shitty alien movie or predator movie, so yeah. I, we don't even talk about him in films. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, how about you? Um, I'm going to marry it also. Nice. It, again, it's not one that I keep in regular rotation because I would like to continue to love it. So I still don't think I could even do once a month, but... Once a quarter? Once we'll a quarter. We'll make it a quarterly. This is, I think this is another uh, push the beds together. We'll schedule a meeting. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna pencil it in. But but yeah, I, I it's a unicorn of a film for me. Absolutely. So. All right. Now, now are we saying goodbye? I'm not the one that messed up the ending. <laughs> okay. So once again... If you are enjoying the show, you guys know how algorithms work at this point. We need those reviews. You don't have to write anything lengthy. Just, you know, rate us, review us. Listen, you don't have to write anything at all. You can just click some stars. Yeah, click some stars. Whatever you feel is right. I'm not even going to ask for five. Just whatever you feel like it's worth. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to be honest. Like, here's the deal. I I hate it when people get on there like, get us five stars. Like, no, I mean, you know, if if you think it's only a four, then do four. If you think it's three, do three. Just not a one. If you think it's one, then don't do a review. (laughs) (laughs) And check out our Patreon. You know, we we do some cool shit on there. So please consider just, you know, at least giving it a look. And support the show. And support the show. Yeah, we we need it. (laughs) Uh, But until next week, I'm Ashley. And I'm Travis. Thank you for listening to Dead and Married. Take care, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Dead and Married. A very special thank you to our patrons, William and Zena Rush of Original Cinematic, Gary Horton, Carissa, Kate Lamp, Karima Rhodes, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, and Renee Hunter Vasquez, John Paul Vasquez, and Travis Hunter of Podmortem. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash deadandmarried to find out how. Another special thank you to Alana Miller for composing Dead and Married's theme. You can find Alana's channel, Alana Llama, on YouTube. 
check us out on X and Instagram as SpookyMom83 and TravisL80, respectively, as well as our official pages. Please consider rating and reviewing, and thank you again for your support.